Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we are canceling the apocalypse. Join us in the drift and prepare to chase the rabbit as we talk about 2013's Pacific Rim. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the 105th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. Thank you for joining us in the first in our series of Hops and Favorite Flops. I am so, so pleased to be talking to you today about the kaiju magnum opus that is Pacific Rim. I am your host, Captain Cash, and with me is my Jaeger co-pilot, the Thunderous Wizard. Jet Elbow. Is that that the name of the movie? (laughs) Rocket Punch. Rocket Punch. Jet Elbow. I'd accept. Or Sword. We'd take any of those. Sword. Sword. Piloting the Chinook Ronin, our Jaeger co-pilots, are Mayor McCheese. Howdy, howdy. And Chumpzilla. Robot Jocks did it first. Yeah, but this this film does not have a chainsaw penis. Better or worse movie with a chainsaw penis? How does the Russian robot not how does the Russian robot not have a chainsaw penis? I feel like that would be a bare minimum for entry for a Russian robot. But yeah. Regardless, we are brought to you by Wabam Entertainment, your place for the latest in nerd news. Check us out over at wabamentertainment.com. That's W O B A M Entertainment. You can find the pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. Leave us a comment on what movie you'd like to hear us talk next. Merrick Cheese, where can you be found on the internet? I am at H-B-O-F McCheese. Lovely. And Chumzilla, if the listener wanted to drift with you, where can you be found? Well, you can certainly find me drifting with myself on Twitter at Chumzilla8. And as a general disclaimer right now, audience, we advise you not to drift with Chumpzilla. Yeah, there's no coming back from that. Don't don't mind melt with that, dude. My nope. mind is a dark, dark place. And Thunderous Wizard, where can you be found? Well, I can tell you this. Uh, I've stick fought Chumpzilla. Uh, didn't do a lot for our mind melding, but I don't recommend that either. And when I'm... Uh, not utilizing my sword arm at the moments that would be most opportune, you can find me at Writer TLK. Now, when you say you stick fought Chumzilla, uh... go on. <laughs> we uh, we trained to determine how humanly compatible we were to pilot to a gigantic robot in the hopes of beating a gigantic monster. Even though with two people piloting something, the reaction time would be slowed to a point that it would not be feasible to defeat that monster. So, and I won, basically, but yes. But yeah. still a sex thing, right? Yeah, isn't this where you uh, guys played swords in college? We were in college. We were experimenting. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. If there's a it's percent fine. higher than 100, it would be higher than 100. <laughs> Yeah, it's called 101%, dummy. Liter- literally any number above 100. And there's there's an infinite number of those. I feel like All there's right. a Ghostbusters don't cross the streams joke here that we're missing, but let's move on. All right. Well, before we get too far, 
in honor of the giant mecha in this film, so-called Jaegers, we would all like to now do a Jaeger bomb. So, if you're drinking at home, get out your Jaeger shot, get out your pint glass full of America's finest Red Bull. Drop the shot into the Red Bull and cancel the apocalypse. Wow. Woo. Those are choices. That's the thing we did. Yep. And that is how you take down a kaiju. Now, for the beer tonight, we have no finer beer for canceling the apocalypse than Unibrow's Le Fin de Monde. This is an extremely fruity Belgian-style triple ale and packs a kaiju-walloping punch of 9% ABV. Pours amber with a solid white head. And to that, gentlemen, I say sword. It, that may be the lamest kaiju noise of history. That was so, the lamest kaiju noise of history. Sword. I, well, <laughs> sword. <laughs> the, the, apparently the pilot of said, uh, uh, not kaiju, of said Jaeger did not know existed. Yeah, uh, we'll get into when, that. Yeah, Hang on talk? to that thought. Oh, no, I'm lot, just... There are a lot of questions <laughs> I have to send Captain Cash's way, yeah. but we need to talk about this alcohol first. Yes. So, uh, everybody, grab your Le Fin de Mon, Give us a tasty taste. What do you think? Well, I'll start. Uh, Man, as, Ooh, that as, is fruity. As we've established on the podcast, the Thunderous Wizard has a sensitive tum-tum. <laughs> <laughs> so 9% is a lot for me. Uh, so I'll give it one and a half movies. I think it's good. Okay. I do think it's good, but... I mean, is this like a Lambic beer? I couldn't get it, so... It, I mean, it's a Belgian-style triple ale, so it is really fruity. It is really, like, I mean, you can taste the alcohol on it, but not too bad. Like, all of Unibrow's stuff, like Le Fin de Monde or uh, Trois Pistoles, are, are like, sneaky. Because you can drink a couple of these and not realize how much booze you're actually getting and wind up in a bad way quick. I was about to say, when you keep describing it as very fruity. I just imagine it as being like a raspberry smoothie with alcohol hidden in it. No, I wouldn't call it fruity. It's got a strong taste of botanicals. Um, and there are fruit notes, but it's very herby. Um, okay, fair enough. And like a tea? Uh, yeah, it's strong. It is strong, um, which I will admit that does help cover the booziness of the 9% ABV. But yeah, this is not my cup of tea. I'll give this a one bad movie rating. It's not It's not for me. Other people might yeah. enjoy this because it's an interesting beer, but it does not uh, do it for me. For me, I, I like this beer. I don't know that I love it. I'd probably give this a, a two-movie beer. I mean, it's good, but to Chumzilla's point, it is very strong. Um, I, I do like it, but I'd have trouble drinking this for more than about four hours without uh, spitting pretty hard. It, it, it definitely punches you in the face. You have the first one, you're like, wow, that is... A flavor profile like that is something it's just not something i want another one of really <laughs> considering i couldn't get it i'm gonna crack a johnny utah good plan the only thing i would add on the beer just real quick for fun trivia if you happen to go to epcot and you go drinking around the world you start in mexico you end in canada 
this is a Canadian beer, and its its name literally means the end of the world. So that's how you know how to do it. In Quebecois. I'll just say Utah. Give me two. Give it two. Utah two. All right. So let's jump into this film. I'm actually really excited to talk about it because I I do love this movie. I love this movie. I I bet you are. But up front, we really want to address the name of the hero Jaeger. Um, It is called the Gypsy Danger. Crucially, the the Jaeger's name was named after the 1925 de Harvillen Gypsy plane engine, not the slur for the Romani people. That said, we'll be calling the Jaeger the Danger or the Lady Danger throughout, as she's become known in the fandom, just out of respect to the marginalized people. So I'm going to be calling her the Nipsey Danger, just because I, I like rap. That's fair. Out of respect to... Nipsey Hustle. There we are. All right. So, Pacific Rim premiered in Mexico City on July 1 and saw its full release on July 12th of 2013. It was directed by the great Guillermo del Toro. The film stars Charlie Hunnam and Rinko uh, Kikuchi as Raleigh Beckett and Mako Mori. Idris Elba is here as the best end of the world speech giver since Bill Pullman as Stacker Pentecost. Wait a minute. Uh, If he was... French, that speech carries so much more weight. And I spent, that's all I spent, I'm going to say. I spent most of this movie going, why is Idris Elba not talking in a French accent? <laughs> or drunk. <laughs> yeah. I, Today, we cancel the apocalypse. <laughs> I feel like there's something I'm missing here. Why would he be French? Ghost Rider. Two. Yeah. Oh, Come my on, God. Oof. Yeah. Why would he be French? Because it's the best version of Idris Elba. That's why. <laughs> that was your movie, Captain Cash. No, it wasn't. It, it was my movie, Jumpzilla. But he's the one that liked it. I did like that Oh, movie. yeah, he was the only one that actually I liked it. I did totally forget that Idris Elba was French. French. Yeah, He was wow. French in that. And drunk. Wow. Well, I mean, I now, mean that I think, now that I think about it, I don't know if the Frenchness would have made it better, I just kind of wanted it after watching Ghost Rider before this. I mean, to be fair, you don't know he wasn't drunk in this. He That's might fair. have been. I mean, he, he must have been. <laughs> you want to squeeze into one of them, one well, of them Jaeger had, pilot suits, you got to give me a couple drinks. He had an hour to fill before any action happened. <laughs> All right, anyway. That's a lot of stuff to kill. <laughs> we, also, we also have Charlie Day and Burn Gorman. Uh, as the quirky science team of doctors Newt Geisler and Herman Gottlieb. Uh, I know, I know, ha- I know, we're cutting in a lot here, but can someone give me an update on where in Charlie Day's uh, like Hollywood career this is? Is this? I mean, it's got to be pretty close to the start, right? Uh, or, this is yeah. season four of uh, Always Sunny in Philly. Oh, okay, no, uh, so this he, is post horrible bosses. Oh, so he's already established. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's a president, no but he was no still very much was. the guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, well, yeah, but he was still that guy. This is this is before he became like a bigger deal. But but, but this is not his debut role. I didn't know no. when this movie actually came out because I've never seen it. So I kind of thought this was like a 2009 before It's Always Sunny. Um, but no, okay, cool. Moving on. Okay. Go. We also have 
Robert Krasinski of Warcraft fame. Welcome back to the pod, Bob. Uh, and Max Martini as the father-son duo of Chuck and Hercules Hansen, who are basically the human rival team. Neither of them are actually Australian, but you'll recognize <laughs> one from Big Little Lies. And or True Blood. Yep. Suck it. Suck it. And finally, we have the great Ron Perlman Woo! as the shady kaiju dealer Hannibal Chow. Really, Ron, I really like him as Hannibal Chow. It's a lot. Ron of fun. Perlman is the best. He's an American treasure. You really, I mean, name a bad time you've had with Ron Perlman. You can't. No, zero. I can't. I won't. Even if there was one, I would just bury it. I'd never talk about it. I love it didn't Ron happen. Perlman. Didn't happen. The dude, great guy. The dude dressed up as full Hellboy to go visit kids in a hospital. Like, it takes a lot of time and dedication, and he's awesome. He's just awesome. All right, moving on, though. Uh, the initial take for this film was very much considered a flop. The film placed third, third when it premiered, <laughs> behind Grown Ups 2 <laughs> and Despicable Me 2. Uh, mm, that's uh, brutal. That's Damn, brutal. Adam Sandler and Steve Carell. Ouch. My kids love Despicable Me, but I don't know how you... Mm, that's... <laughs> That's a tough box office. Wait, hold on. Bad time with Ron Perlman and Sleepwalkers. Anybody? Nope. nope. Anybody? Nope. Nope. All oh, right. Still counts. I had a good time. Sleepwalkers is is Cats the the prequel. <laughs> I always have a good time with Cats, and I will tell you this: as someone who just recently saw Grown Ups two for the first time. This is a real blow to Guillermo del Toro because holy shit, is that? I just bad. I actually I don't think I've ever actually seen Grown Ups Two, nor do I plan to watch it. Watch I don't it. want to. I, I don't dare want you. To. I dare you to watch it. I can only say, no. No. thank God, thank God that movie apparently did well enough that we can't consider it a flop because I don't want to watch it for any amount of alcohol. I will tell you, however. Even in losing to Grown Ups 2 and Despicable Me 2, the Chinese box office really pulled hard for this, and it made $300 million worldwide on top of the hundred-odd million dollars it made in America to pull in $411 million worldwide against a budget of $200 million. So it, it actually made enough money to greenlight a sequel but the less we talk about that, the better. Yeah, I mean, but let's be clear. It it barely doubled its budget, and this movie was marketed quite heavily, so it it probably didn't actually turn a profit. Which is but a great... it was well-received. Yes. It's That's a great crime. Yeah, it, it didn't pull in a ton of money relative to its budget, but people liked it. it critics liked it. For good reason, I feel like. It's not IMDb, terrible. Yeah, IMDb calls this thing as a war between humankind and monstrous sea creatures wages on, a former pilot and a trainee are paired up to drive a seemingly obsolete special weapon in a desperate effort to save the world from the apocalypse. Which I feel like is right, but also misses the point. Like, that, that encapsulates what's happened by, but uh, at the same time, completely missing why we're here. Yeah, pretty much. 
All right, fair enough. Well, how would you describe it, Thunderous Wizard? I would describe this movie as a war between a visionary director and the studio who was giving him notes. I really... Like, you say that, but... I don't... Where, where do you think the notes came in? Oh, every time he had a world-building piece that they then were like, nope, screw that. Can't have that in there, because we can't have the heroic ending now. All right, well, we'll talk more about that as, as it develops. Uh, Mayor McCheese, what's, what's your one, one-liner for this thing? <sighs> Pacific Rim is much like Mayor McCheese after six heavy IPAs. Very bloated. <laughs> Oh, and Shamzilla. Guillermo del Toro presents Michael Bay's Voltron. I mean, listen, I don't think that's wrong. And I think that describes it very well. I think that's right. uh, And it's great. I mean, for me, this is all caps, the best goddamn giant robot versus giant monster film ever made. Let me take a, a moment here as a child of the 80s, and I am not a huge fan of this movie like you are, Captain Cash. And I'm not the big Godzilla Kong guy that uh, the Thunderous Wizard is. But when I watch this movie, I will 100% admit that it did touch a weird part of that 80s Japanese-influenced animation, kaiju, mecha, just entertainment industrial complex that we were exposed to it felt like mega man it felt a little bit like voltron it felt like godzilla one of the kaiju even kind of moved like an ape it felt a little like kong oh 100 it touched a ton of things that like oh yeah i i remember that that's that's nostalgia for me and that was probably one of the stronger points of the movie like it really did touch on a ton of things that were in like the cultural zeitgeist of like the mid to late 80s it most explicitly is uh del toro's like childhood fantasy though like that's why he made this movie which is why at the end of the day i'm going to make fun of this movie a lot but at the end of the day it all comes back to he loved that genre i love that genre and he made a movie that mostly works out of it and that's really freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into the plot. Uh, the film opens with a, a fairly extended prologue, which I think is important because this is a completely unique IP. This isn't based on anything. They need to sort of set up the world. So you get a lot of exposition heavy lifting in a voiceover from Raleigh Beckett. We learn that in 2013, giant alien monsters called Kaiju have started to emerge from an interdimensional portal called the Breach at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. To combat these, humanity has created the Jaeger, giant robots that require two pilots to operate for plot reasons, uh, and these pilots are connected through a neural bridge called the Drift. So, Captain Cash, here's my first question. Does the Jaeger name mean anything since you are our Eastern correspondent? Actually, <clears throat> I can explain that one for you there, Mayor McCheese. Jaeger is German for hunter. And yeah. just to be completely fair, the movie literally spells that out for you in the first shot. It says Kaiju, it giant monster, Japanese, Jaeger, German, 
Hunter. Oh, I was yeah. not paying any sort of attention oh, to that. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's like, fine. And just for the record, seconds. audience, too, Jägermeister, that is Master Hunter. Master Hunter. Jäger bomb. Kind of a spoiler for this film, but we're going to yeah. get there. Shots, there shots, 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 shots. So we meet up with Raleigh Beckett and his older brother, Yancey, who do not at all talk like normal humans, <laughs> which I thought was helpful because it kind of sets you up for the movie you're watching. Like they literally say shit like, you ready to be in my head, kid? After you, old man. That's how, bro- I mean, I have two brothers. That's how we talk to each other. They, they don't talk like brothers. <laughs> they don't all. talk like humans. At all. Hold on. I, this is the first big problem I have with this movie. You've got these two meathead dudes talking to each other. And then, like, the voiceover is like, we were never the best. We were never the smartest. We were never I... the most athletic. And they're both jacked, like, six-foot-tall, chisel-jaw, blonde guys. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy was totally on the bench. Like, I there's no way that, that guy part. played baseball in high school. What, Like, what the hell is this? It's like the most ridiculous crap I've ever heard. Like, that they're a... the dorks. And I'm like, yeah. uh, no, they're not. Those guys look like total chads. That, that is 100% <laughs> there for every nerd who fucking loved kaiju movies in high school to go like, oh, man, I could be a Jaeger pilot. This is cool. Okay, but cool. those guys weren't Tobey Maguire. They were, like, yoked. <laughs> it makes no sense. Dude, it, 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 it's an army ad, like, hey, come die for the cause, because you can be just like this guy with 0% body fat. <laughs> and, and, and for the record, Guillermo del Toro wanted this to not be army propaganda but i think he failed in a few key places this is one of them i'll come to the other one later i was about to say moving on are we bordering on starship troopers it feels like starship troopers i mean a little bit it does (laughs) any of the irony or context yes if yancey would have played a lime green fiddle we're we're right there where's rico where's literally Literally any of the characters playing a neon green clear fiddle would have made this movie better, but that's true of all movies. Most films, so that's yeah, fair. that's fair. We should, anyway. we should create a new thing. That should be like the Starship Troopers test, or the, yeah. uh, or, or the uh, uh, what's what's the the uh, Young Busey test? The Young Busey test. Yeah. Is there at least one person who plays an electric green fiddle? Would this movie be better with a lime green fiddle? Yes or no? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes is, all, yes is always the answer. Yeah, moving, that may not move be Move on with the plot. Let's all right. Go. So we, we learn that, th- that these two are the pilots for the danger who are being sent to fight a kaiju off of Anchorage, codenamed Knifehead. The danger obeys orders from Stacker Pentecost, the commander of the Jaeger program, to rescue a fishing vessel. Um, they then encountered this the giant shark-like kaiju knife head. Basically, the fight goes great until it doesn't, and Yancey is killed by Knifehead, who just yanks him out of the cockpit. Um, Rally manages to actually kill Knifehead and solo pilots the Jaeger to shore, where he collapses. Um, and then we start to learn that years have passed, and it seems like the Jaegers actually aren't quite as effective as they had been. So a group of bureaucrats decide that, look, we're not going to have the Jaeger program any longer. We're going to scuttle it in favor of building just bigger and thicker walls, and we're going to ride it out that way. Woo! Trump 2028? Yeah. 2035? What? Here's anyway. my first big gripe. 
all these occurrences are occurring in like the middle of you know various seas or whatever they would just bomb them not build silly walls which as we've come to understand don't work yeah. no, knowing uh, our government there are drones ready to yeah. deal with kaiju so, and none of the kaiju are equipped with long-range weaponry they all decide like hey i'm gonna give you a noogie we're gonna settle this that's, that's not that's not accurate thunderous wizard i think no. you need to hold well, on to that one the australian guy shoots one but what does he start with uh, okay no, Here's what no. I want to the, the, the kaiju develop long-range weapons later in the movie. I think you're getting ahead of yourself. But at the same time, the kaiju in the first fight know they how spit to take... acid. They, they know and in the, first the EMP. Fight... We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's back up here. Yes, let's back. They, up. They, Captain they Cash, on, keep us moving. They show in the first fight how they can take down a Jaeger by simply attacking the head where the pilots are. That's all they have to do. I. I have a lot of I have a lot and of. They do it again in the end too. With, that comes back. Uh, consistency with the grabbing the arms and in in the first fight they crush them and later fights they can't crush them. There's Look, a lot of consistency issues. Here, Let's get there. Here's the Let's thing you need to understand: the film is predicated on the conceit that the best way to fight giant monsters is by building giant robots to punch them. I'm not. I'm not upset about that. I really want to like this movie. There's just random. There's random hiccups throughout, I, and a and, and a wasted hour and ten minutes. I like the concept. I hate the execution of the concept, but I'm still going to ultimately fall on your side. But I do. It 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 stumbles so many times throughout. I'm. And there, I'll agree that there are things that bug me about how some of the Jaegers get used, but I, I just, this is one of those movies where the concept itself is asking you to go, look, physics really isn't going to apply here. Sense isn't really going to apply here. This entire movie is built on the rule of cool, which is to say, would it be cool if this happened? And if the answer is yes, the movie just does that. The problem, that. Is, the problem is, though, stop explaining everything with physics and sense. Yeah, I, I will say this. I think the fundamental problem we have is that the movie has the science characters trying to explain things as we move along in terms of how the threat is escalating. But that escalating threat from the mathematical scientific standpoint doesn't necessarily match what we see in the fights on screen. I, I, I think the big issue that they have in terms of building the stakes is it's so uneven throughout. It does peak at the end, which I think that's what really saves the narrative theme in this movie, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but there we are. But th that's where we're at. Like, yeah, it does go up and down throughout kind of wildly and unexplainedly, but it does peak at the right time, which I think works thematically for like, you know, a giant monster movie. But yeah, it's not consistent in the middle portion. So I think you're right there, Thunderous Wizard. But Captain Cash, get us back on track here. Let's get through this plot. So the short version is the world governments have decided the Jaeger program doesn't work any longer. We're, they're going to fund Stacker Pentecost for six more months. He can take what's left of the Jaegers 
go to Hong Kong and do whatever he wants as they finish building out the wall. So why? Why what? Why? Because the wall's not done. No, but why when you have an arsenal of nukes that you could drop in the middle of the ocean and continue destroying the environment, which you've been doing anyways, and solve the problem? Uh, again. Maybe. The conceit Maybe of the film one. is the best way to fight giant monsters is with giant robots. No, no, I'm just saying, like, no, but they've decided that's not the best way, but they're like, we'll give you six months just to... Yeah. Hey, like, the world is ending. <laughs> like... Why don't you why don't you just hold the line for 16 minutes but we'll give you 6 months because well, I mean, all your best men have died in 5 minutes flat. No, I I just don't understand why they just pull the plug right there. They were done with this. Our resources are shifting elsewhere. Like, eh, we'll we'll just let you guys have fun for a while and see what happens. I I feel like transition period. No worries. Sure. Lose. Yeah. Lose, destroy a bunch of shit. We got some stuff to figure out. We'll help you when our, when it's convenient for us. It, it's an odd transition, but because of plot, it does work. So moving yeah. on. I feel so, like you guys haven't actually seen how government works. Because <laughs> this, this, this okay, tracks no, fairly well. What, no, 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 no. I, I completely agree with you there to a certain degree, Mary McCheese. He would have been put on special projects and all of the cool shit would have been pulled. So he could have played tiddlywinks for six months. He wouldn't have had a robot army under his control for six more meaningless months. Like, yeah, they will keep you on. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but they'll put you in a padded room and keep cutting your check until you're gone because that's what legal and HR said to do. But they're not going to let you continue. You will not be able to continue to make meaningful decisions and or command a robot army. Well, they, but, I mean, you, this, you can't at, do that for six more months. <laughs> at this at this point, the robot army is considered obsolete and not useful. So he's basically playing tiddlywinks with whatever's left over. And, and giant robots are not tiddlywinks, just for the record. But moving on. Maybe he sold it to him in the French accent. Ooh. Let me command them. <laughs> <laughs> that I had not considered. I am now I am now convinced otherwise. I will get us back on track, but only if the Thunderous Wizard agrees to do the rest of the pod in his I context. will do the rest of the pod in this accent. Oh. Uh, uh, you're slipping in you're slipping into a, a Borat. You gotta get back to French. <laughs> my Gigo, very nice. Uh, my <laughs> All right. So Stacker Pentecost then is trying to recruit whoever he can. Out of what's left of the Jaegers and the Jaeger pilots, he finds Raleigh on a construction job in Alaska building the wall and brings him to the Shatter Dome in Hong Kong, which I just, the Shatter Dome is such a cool name for a thing. But anyway, um, then we meet Pentecost's assistant, Mako Mori, who mostly communicates in Japanese and has an extensive knowledge of the Jaegers, their pilots, and the kaiju. Uh, we also get to meet the quirky scientist mini-boss squad, uh, who basically make up the B-plot of this film, Newt Geisler and Herman Gottlieb. Uh, Newt is a biologist, because Newt, yeah, get it? Uh, and Gottlieb is a mathematician. And Newt is established as having sort of a, a weird thing being called a kaiju groupie, and Gottlieb predicts that there's going to be a two-kaiju event soon. And one of the things I actually like that the film does is it treats the kaiju like 
natural disasters. They get names and they're given categories much in the same way a hurricane is. Hey, yes. not Charlie Day, but the other one. What is he from? He was just in something. Burn Gorman is in a ton of stuff. Burn Gorman was most recently in Expanse. Yeah. He was pretty heavily he was in Game of Thrones for a couple episodes. He was no. part of Torchwood, which is a Doctor Who spin-off. No, no. I might have to look at the IMB. I I could have swore I just saw him playing almost the same exact role in a different movie. And when he showed up next to Charlie Day, I was like, oh, that dude. He was yep. in The Dark Knight Rises, correct? Uh yes. Yeah. Who was he in Dark Knight Rises? Well, he was one of the Bane's lackeys, but one of the goons. Yeah, I swear he's in there. I think you're right. I mean, you might be right. I just it doesn't. Burn Gorman has got one of those faces that is immediately recognizable, much in the same way Ron Perlman does, where they're just so unique looking as humans that's kind of hard to be like. Oh, no, no. who's that? He's got one of those no, like, no, deliveries and mannerisms where it's like he's always that guy. Like, oh, it's that guy. He's yeah. the nebbish, slightly nervous, nerdy guy. Oh, no, no, no. You check him out in Expanse, man. He's he's a hardcore dick in Expanse. He's great. He oh, is really. uh, Striber in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, he works for Bane. I, I don't know exactly who he is. Yep. Yeah. Either way, he. Yeah. he Bern Gorman is one of those actors that when you see him, you immediately recognize him. He's that guy. Yep. Yeah. Which is funny because that's an expanse thing too, but that's a different actor. Anyway, uh, we also meet the three other Jaeger crews uh, of Crimson Typhoon, Cherno Alpha, and Striker Eureka. And again, I just want to pause. Those names are so fucking good. It's so cool. Um, the Jaegers and the pilots themselves are just like a shade above Street Fighter 2 levels of national stereotypes, especially for yes. the Russian and the Chinese. It's like, it's real. It's real paint by numbers. A shade it's above one... is favorable. It's it maybe, might be on, right on, it's on, maybe on par. It's, with... it's one hair away from on the nose. Yeah. Like stereotypes. But but it's not offensive. I'll give it that. It's not yeah. offensive. It's it's the cute kind of like hey wink wink nod nod. Oh we get it. Um, you know at least for a Western audience. Well, I mean it's it's like in anime when you have the the mecha crew that is the Americans and it's a fucking football mech or or a cowboy mech. That's basically what this is. But I'm less bothered by this because we spend almost no time with those crews at all. Like yeah. we spend no time with the Russian crew, no time with the Chinese crew other than just the visual representation. They might have one line between five people. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only time that the only crew that we actually spend any time with are the crew of the striker Eureka, which are Herc and Chuck Hansen, the Australian father. Yeah, and the son Aussies. Yeah. yeah. And mostly we only do that because Chuck kind of becomes a, a minor antagonist for Raleigh. That, He's Flash Thompson. Yeah, I don't. I don't like you because you're an American, and I don't like you because you're. He doesn't trust him because he's a washup. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, he's not. He, he's he's not... Iceman to to Maverick. Maverick. Yeah. That's exactly what he is. He is the cocky jerk off who's not as good as he thinks he is. Yeah. And he's not actually Australian, which I mentioned before. So. English, yeah. Yes. A lot of English actors in this, actually. 
Um, Though weirdly, the other Australian, his dad, Herc Hansen, an American. Yeah, also not Australian. Yeah, and only only like thirteen years older than he is, and it shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a stick fighting scene where we learn that Makamori is a skilled fighter, and that she and Raleigh are drift compatible. Uh, they then attempt to put Raleigh and Mako inside the Matrix. <coughs> I hate a lot of the middle of this movie. The stick fighting scene is is just so stupid. It's pretty silly. It's so stupid. Why would this be the determiner? Now, granted, spoiler, it's going to happen later, but none of the Jaegers actually do any of these techniques for the most part at all on screen. I don't understand what this means. I don't. All right, so Uncle Chumpzilla is going to take a break here because we're in this fantastical world of giant monsters, giant mecha, and yet the only way to find a way to match compatibilities of our mech pilots is through stick fighting. I'm sorry. At this point, I would assume they would have developed some sort of simulator where they could pair pilots together and measure their compatibility. That's a great question, but I, I have a better question for you. What would be cooler, a couple stick fights or a scene where we plug everybody's head into a cable? St- stick fights, right? You'd, you'd like to see some people fight with sticks. No. That might be neat. No. I, yeah, just, I, I, I log that no. into the wasted hour of this movie. And just so everyone knows, I recently learned that me and Anna Kendrick are drift compatible in case she yeah. listens to the podcast. No, you know what I want to see? Hold on, hold on. Can you do the uh, cups thing? Because that's how you'd know. You'd have to cups thing next to each other. Oh, wait. Oh, shit, no. you are drift compatible. What yeah, I want to see here is like a uh, version of that scene from RoboCop 2 where they have all the failed uh, experiments. Yeah, exactly. I want to see a bunch of people like just barfing or passing out because they don't match up. And then all of a sudden, our protagonist matches up with our other protagonist. And they're like, oh my God, they match up. And then like, no, Idris Elba's no. all like, ew, I don't approve. No, no none of fine. this. We've already wasted so much time in this movie to not have robots fighting. All I want to see is robots fighting monsters, and they wait an hour and ten minutes to make robots fight monsters. I'm just saying, have a quick montage of people barfing and passing out, and then they're like, oh, well, I guess don't care. You, can, you can give me a five-minute exposition dump on the future and then just have robots fight monsters, and I would have loved this movie. A robot okay. fights a monster in the first 15 minutes. Okay. But okay. That movie really. is called it's Robot like Jocks, and and there is a robot with like a giant chainsaw penis. So if that's what you want, I'm there. We can just let's drop the pod now. Let's go watch Robot Jocks. Yeah, go. Did, does Del Toro direct that, too? No. No, unfortunately not, because otherwise it'd be a little more artful and uh, probably still as boring as this movie is. But hey, let's get to the meat of this movie. We're, we're right there. We're right there. In any case, we find out that Raleigh and Mako are at least nominally drift compatible. So they then stick Mako and Raleigh in the danger and they have them go through the drift which then controls the robot. And unfortunately, something goes wrong and we get pulled into Mako's head where we learn that Mako is a survivor of a kaiju attack when she was a child and was saved by Stacker Pentecost and that she's not his assistant, but is in fact his adopted daughter. Oh, I missed that. That makes, yeah. 
Wow. How wow. did you miss cheese. that? How did you miss that? <laughs> one. And two, that is one of the most powerful and amazingly terrifying scenes in the movie. That little girl running down the road with the kaiju coming down behind her. That was some amazing imagery. Kudos, Guillermo del Toro. That was awesome. That was one of the highlights of this movie. Chumpzilla, I remember that scene. I don't remember Stacker Pentecost being involved, but at the same time, I was on my seventh IPA at that two, point in time. To your defense, you get that scene like at least twice, and yeah. I think you only get the end on the second time. Yeah, but Child in Peril, that little oh, yeah, girl no, I, I, walking I, down I, the road holding her one her shoe, shoe her one red shoe, crying. It's like great visual. Great visual. Trauma. I didn't realize that Idris was her new father figure. I missed yes. that. My kills the kaiju. My apologies. Yeah, it's it's all building towards that. And if you're gonna take one thing away from this movie, and as stupid as I can say, a lot of the plot points of the movie are, it is a visually striking movie. No, it's very oh, yeah. good looking. It looks it, awesome. Well, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro doesn't make shitty looking movies. He does not do that. He's got a great eye. That's fair. Um, But in any case, because of this screw-up where basically the the danger almost kills everyone because it engages its gun arm as Mako is freaking out, they get sidelined. So now we've got basically three Jaeger crews. And the, the two kaiju event predicted by Gottlieb begins... And all the the Jaegers, minus the danger, are scrambled, and they fight Leatherback and Otachi in Hong Kong. At the same time, Newt decides to drift with a piece of kaiju brain. Again, the drifting is where basically they mind meld. And it nearly kills him, but he learns that the kaiju are actually created by a species that wants to invade Earth. Random question, and this circles back to probably the beginning of the pod. Do they have these names already prepared or like do they have to wait for the kaiju to come out and then quickly come up with a name that sort of describes them? It is it basically I believe it is much like a hurricane. They wait until the kaiju comes out and then broadly based on no. how it's shaped they No, do. no, hurricanes are alphabetical. Yeah, hurricanes alphabetical, there's nothing involved. But so, if you're to say something's knife head, then it has a knife head. Right, no, no. So you are correct, Mary Cheese. I believe in this universe, they name them based on what they look like when they show up. That's a solid job to have where you literally just sit there and when a kaiju yeah. pops kaiju out, name it's like uh Hulk. That yeah. one that one's called the Hulk. Wait, We're going with that. And what's up with the the kaiju uh, not the kaiju namer, but like the the guy in the lab that's like the knockoff Elvis slash like oh yeah so e- ex- extra yeah, from what is that the, the Hunger deal? Games with the okay with the so bow tie like what the hell yeah so here's, the aesthetic this, of this movie is all over the place I mean it, the aesthetic of this movie is goddamn perfect bow tie and suspenders is a is a very quality look but not when you're trying to save the world from a goddamn ten story tall monster okay okay fuck hang on. you Tucker so, Carlson <laughs> All right, that character has a name, and it's Tendo Choi. And he looks, Tendo, he looks like a Tendo. He has a very distinct rockabilly aesthetic that yes. you immediately key into. 
And like everybody in this film sort of has that. And that's what I love. No, about they this. don't. They no, no, no. Not that they have a rockabilly aesthetic, but they have a very, everyone has a very specific look. That's what I mean. That you immediately key into. That's kind of unique. Uh, uh, do they? All the white guys are pretty generic. Uh, Idris Elbrus character mm, is just military. No, I agree with Cash. They're unique, but to a point where it's almost over the top, where everyone has to be so unique in different sects that you're like, okay, we got it. Like everyone's their own individual. Uh, I'm not buying it. He stood out to me. Uh, no, I, w- I will agree with that. His character, I didn't like his character from the get go. But he never did anything so egregious where I'm like, I hate this fucking guy. He he's was just fine. like, he seems strange in that world. Uh, like, he's just, he's basically like one of the operators or the main operator within the Kaiju Command Center. He's the lead or, singer sorry, the of Jaeger Suit, Suit Center, Riot yeah. who got a new job. That's true. I I don't know. I, I really like the funky rockabilly aesthetic that wait, guy wait. had for no reason other than yeah. that's just how he looks. Hold on. If you hire Mojo Nixon for the role... I'll give it a pass. I mean, fair. I mean, I've actually lost. I've lost where we are with the plot. You got to get us back. Okay, so pulling it, (laughs) pulling it back for the the brief pause on Tendo Choi. What has happened is that there are two kaiju that are about to attack Hong Kong. Charlie Day's character Newt has drifted with a kaiju brain and learned that oh, the kaiju are actually being produced by some ancient alien race that wants to invade Earth. And he only kind of gets a glimpse into it, but if he had another brain, he'd get the intel that we need to defeat the kaiju. So then Stacker Pentecost sends Charlie Day, sends Newt, to go find Hannibal Chow, who is a black market kaiju parts dealer, thinking that, oh, this guy's going to have the brain piece that you need to get us the intel so we can actually win this war. But then... And this is where I think the Thunderous Wizard's gonna gonna come back and have a good time. We get the big Hong Kong fight, which it's not the climax of the movie, but it's the climax of the movie. This it's is the crescendo. The, yes, this it's, is it's, the best fight scene by a wide margin. It's good. I mean, as much as I want to shit on this movie because there's so much downtime that nothing happens when there's actual kaiju's and Gundams, if you will, on screen. That's a hundred percent what the Jaegers are. They're Gundams. Yeah, Fine. I mean, it's fantastic. Like when that is actually going on, even with the silly shit, like oh, I forgot I had a sword. It's still fun. I love it. I mean, that's what we were texting about yeah. last night. Like, if if we would have gotten rid of all the human interest piece in this and just made it a straight Gundam kaiju fight movie, I would have enjoyed it so much better. Yeah, and I will say this, Mary Cheese. This fight scene has at least like four, maybe five or six like turning points in it. We're just like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, like it has a lot of twists and turns. It's it's solid. It is really solid and it's really engaging. And visually, even though it's dark and rainy, still the splashing and the crashing and all that stuff it's still visually interesting even though it's not in daylight the entire reason this movie is worth your time is for the battle in hong kong because it is a multifaceted kaiju versus giant robot battle it's awesome uh, it's a little underwhelming for some of the other 
robots. We're like, oh shit, that robot would be super cool. It's not super. Oh cool. yeah, like two of these Jaegers get taken out like yeah. punks. It's kind of depressing. It's a great monster battle. I mean, you just listened to our Godzilla versus Kong pod, which is in Hong Kong, which is monsters fighting each other, and there's a lot of shit in this that rivals that. I I wouldn't say it's better than that, but oh, I would. But it's it's good. It's very good. I will say that, and you'll have yeah. a great time watching it. I mean, when a when a giant robot is dragging a a cargo ship through the streets of Hong Kong just to beat a monster over the head with it, like a baseball bat, like like a baseball you, bat, you might be like in for a good time. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll just be a real wet blanket here. Those ships are meant to float. They're not meant to move through oh, no, air. No. Yeah, so none like, of that, that physics that, makes sense. That, but yeah, again, you're watching a movie where the best way to beat giant monsters is to build a giant robot to punch it to death. Well, not so, that, not, I'm just, that I'm just saying movie. you could have given it something else not to smack that kind monster. of movie. Not, not that kind of movie. Right, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here right. to watch. I'm here to watch Gundams beat the shit out of kaijus, and, and this I, don't is care. The, I don't care what they use as weapons. This is the Battle Royale. I don't worry about that kind of shit. I worry about when this movie makes rules and breaks its own rules, which we're going to get to. Yeah, it's going to real hard hey, in the I'm third act. Physics are rules. <clears throat> it, <laughs> again... You want to say physics are rules, but the best way to kill a giant monster is a giant robot by punching it to death. You kind of have to throw physics out the window. No, but no, you use the the plasma blaster that burns well, holes in their chest. Nah. Just uh, you, you mount them on the shoulders and you just from a range. Never mind. Yeah, again. Uh, all right. So the this is the fight. We've got three Jaegers versus two kaiju. And it goes basically from bad to worse for the humans, as Crimson Typhoon and Cherno Alpha, which are the Jap, or sorry, which are the Chinese and the Russian Jaegers, are almost immediately destroyed. What? And it's brutal. Oh yeah, it, it's oh, it's they, they, they put you in they, the cockpit the, as these people die. Yeah. yeah, when they kill the Russians, that's kind of tough to watch. <laughs> which. Like this, this movie is played for camp and for fun, but it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. So every so often, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I, I did horror for a while." <laughs> hey, do you do you want to see the almost unknown, understandable, un, not understandable character because they speak a different language? Drowned? No, too bad. You're gonna Here watch. Here we go. It. Yeah, it, you yeah, thought they it, were a stereotype. Oh, they're actually humans. It's all fun and games until the the characters start to lose. The human characters start to lose. Yeah. So the gorilla-turtle hybrid called Leatherback uh, uses an EMP, and that basically knocks the striker Eureka offline. So they hastily scramble the, the danger because, for whatever reason, it's powered by a nuclear reactor, so it's not affected by an EMP, which I don't understand. Cue exactly. the dumbest plot oversight of the movie. Yep. That's yeah. one of those things like they're they, right. They're right. The power core would still function. You could still fire up that nuclear reactor, except none of the digital controls 
or any of the heads up display bullshit that appears in the cockpit would work. It's all fried. Which is entirely well, it, well, what it is. So you're kind of like, it, I don't understand why that's an issue, but. Well, it, I mean, jog my memory here, Chubbzilla, because you're smarter. If it's turned off when the PM, when the EMP goes off, does it fry it? Yes. Oh, it, okay. it, it, it wipes all the, the hard drives and microchips. Like it, it's basically like the end of, uh, the end of uh, Fight Club, except instead of being explosions, it just like erases everything. It's a quiet thought, erasure. I mean, like, I understand just all, how all the all all the data just gets wiped. I thought I understand how an EMP works. I just figured if things weren't powered up, they can't be affected by the EMP. But also, I you know I, you need a Faraday cage for that. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm much more concerned with the fact that the uh, the danger gets damaged heavily multiple times. And then they only tell you in the last half hour, like, "Hey, this is this is nuclear ready, bot." Even though he, they get their ass kicked, they get torn limb from limb. It doesn't you know what? matter. I was gonna, I was gonna save this for later, but also the giant turbine in its chest—that's like unsecured. That's like an unlicensed nuclear reactor. That's like Ghostbuster <laughs> stuff. Yes. Like, what if a pigeon yes, flies in there? Like, what if the seawater gets sucked in there? That's all going to be bad. You can't. That's, that's like, not that's... a pigeon anymore, is the answer. <laughs> okay. Moving yeah. on. Moving on. Yeah. So, yeah, again, yeah but, again, no, but not, your point, Mayor McCheese, an EMP thing, like, would have wiped out everything. That Back to the Stone Age. Yeah. They'd, just be, they'd, just, they'd be sorely fucked. Uh, but, but for the purposes but, but of the are, film. But they are. So let's move on. Yeah. But for the purposes of the film, the Lady Danger is not affected by that because it's a nuclear reactor. So fine. Yep. Moving on. Yep. Plot, they, plot, they, plot needs to happen. Yep. They drop the danger in. Uh, danger fights. Leatherback fights Odachi. I, or Otachi. I, I love that they use shipping containers as brass knuckles. And basically the danger shoots Leatherback into just a, a chunky pulpy mess. Before we get awesome. the yeah, before we get the fight with Odachi, which or sorry, Otachi rather, which is like three different fights where it's a, a lizard in the water, then it's a lizard on on land, and it's got like this weird claw tail that they freeze and break off, and then it turns into a giant bat and it tries to fly the danger up into near earth or orbit, where at the last minute, and we've made a lot of references to this. Iron Man. Yeah, no, just that the danger crew realizes, oh, we have the sword. Engage the sword. Gosh. Yeah. Why didn't they remember the sword? So <laughs> my, my only concern understand. here is that, it's, it's that it is uh, Mako's comment. Like, oh, the sword. And he's like, oh, yeah, the sword. And later we find out they have the sword in both hands. It's like, okay, so clearly that's like a thing you've had this entire time. It's my... It's such a plot hole. Mako, Mako, whatever. And, Mako. No, yeah, Mako. You don't ignore it because it's fun. My Jim, only thought. My that's only it, that's, way to it kind of seems away. like that's his signature thing because uh, aside from the open gaping maw of his nuclear reactor in his chest, there's nothing defining about uh, the Lady Danger. So I find, it very very I find it very shocking that the sword thing is like a big reveal. I'm like... Really? All the other mecha had a gimmick, and yours was just like, I'm Punching. cool, 
And then it's like, oh yeah, I got swords. To be fair, punching as a gimmick is very American. But my only way to in-universe explain this is that the danger had to be rebuilt after it was destroyed and Yancey was killed. So maybe they added the swords? Listen, I I realize I'm splitting hairs here. uh, That's the only way I can explain it. It's a possibility, but I don't I don't uh, buy it. Yeah, my 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 five thousand foot view of this whole scenario is there is no fucking way we're going to beat the kaiju, considering how fast they evolve and actually can take out whatever systems we've put into place. That's Charlie Day's fault. (laughs) My biggest issue with the movie is that we see all these fights. And it's never adequately explained why any of the robots, especially the danger, don't just have a long-range weaponry. Everything's like, oh, I'll just punch them or I'll just get them in a headlock. And now I have a sword. The sword's cool, but every robot just goes, screw it. Let's just knuckle up. Let's just fight. It's like, because no. that's cool. That's the whole answer. There's jet elbow, son. Pew, yeah, pew. like. The whole point is there's no way that creating a giant robot to punch a giant monster to death makes any sense. But it is real fucking cool to watch. But we just watched a movie where they had the long-range fight happen. And then it evolves into the close-range fight because there's dual long-range fighting. You know what, Thunderous Wizard? You're not wrong here. You're not wrong. There's a Hollywood... TV timeout. There is a Hollywood issue with this because if you look at the Marvel Universe, a base, basically you've got like the greatest heroes, you know, in this fictional comic book universe. And most of their conflicts are sorted out by punching each other. It is a weird way to resolve conflicts at that kind of scale. But it's visceral and it's fun to it's, watch. It's visceral and it's fun to watch. But yeah, I, I, I do feel like that is a, a, a failing here in these stories. Like, why can't you find a better way or a more exciting way to tell these stories? Why can't there be a longer range weapon angle on these things? Because you know what would be cool is watching a giant robot punch a giant monster to death. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, well, they could just shoot each other's missiles from long range and... But that become, wouldn't be fun to watch. Right. It becomes a political conflict. It gets too real. And we're like, yeah, we don't like that. Let's see big things punch each other. Okay. Which yeah, is back a to lot that. of fun. So it's, right. it's, it's a weird dichotomy. You just got to find a balance there. And the one thing that I really want to give to Pacific Rim throughout this fight is that it is constantly reminding you of the scale of what is happening. It seems big. And I love it. Like it does seem big when the monsters fight and and it takes that big wide range shot of them. It looks like they move slow because they're so big. And, and like when, like literally they take shipping containers and smash them against one of the monsters head, things fall out of the shipping containers. There's literally like a bedroom set and a scooter and a bunch of weird shit because it's a shipping container. Of course it would have stuff in it. And a couple of times they do the gag where like, these giant robots very lightly tap something. Like at one point, it taps an Einstein's cradle, or is it a Newton's cradle? I don't remember. The the balls that clack back and forth. Yeah, Newton's cradle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Newton's cradle. To be just to to remind you how huge these things are, 
And yeah. that's where this movie just soars for me, especially in this Hong Kong fight, because there's all there's all this other stuff going on. It's very self-aware. Yeah. No, and that and that is a very good point because a lot of these movies struggle with that scale. This movie does not, and I think uh, Guillermo del Toro was very adamant about trying to make sure the scale felt right. Yep. Because he wanted this movie to feel big, and it does. It does. Yep. So at the end of the day, though, the the danger has managed to kill Odachi, has managed to kill uh, Leatherback, and so now Newton Chow go to harvest the brain from this recently killed kaiju, but find out that it's actually pregnant. And does that make sense for an engineered creature? Absolutely not. Nope. But who cares? No, nope, no. Nope. we get creepy baby kaiju that then eats Ron Perlman before it dies. I'll explain why that makes sense. It's because, because uh, Charlie Day drifted with him. He introduced Sigourney Weaver to their universe. So now we have an alien baby. No. This is Alien Four. None of this makes sense. And that Alien Four. Like Alien Four. It's the single I, I, I reason I don't like this movie as much as I should, because I love kaiju movies, but it constantly breaks its own rules. Like, again, I this hate. Part, I hate that. Yeah. Given what we've been told so far, this doesn't make sense. But I am a hundred percent making excuses here. But yeah, that's my expl- explanation. But, it's Sigourney Weaver, Alien Four. Would it be cool? To see Ron Perlman get eaten by a weird baby kaiju thing. Yes, it would. So that's what we're doing. And, and that's what happens. But then Gottlieb shows up. So together, the Newt Charlie Day character and Gottlieb then drift with this kaiju brain to get the last of the information that they need to learn that they can take a bomb through the portal, through the rift, if they have kaiju with them some piece of a kaiju, like if they were to ride a kaiju through, it would allow them to enter the portal. They need a kaiju barcode. Basically. Just for the record, this is my joke about studio notes. It's like, well, hey, you gotta do something really cool here. You gotta have, uh, well, just have them eat Ron Perlman. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense within the script. It's like, nobody will notice. Nobody will notice. It's cool. I don't know. I, I feel like People that was a hundred percent Guillermo. But, no, hey, Th- Thunder Wizard, so did you know? Did, did you know stupid. that's not the role they wanted, or that Guillermo wanted for Perlman? I did not. But yeah, Guillermo wanted Ron Perlman to be the Australian dad. Might be worse. Yep, yeah, but just get an like, Australian guy because, for Pete's sake. Well, I, I, I'm sort of glad they didn't go that route, but for like uh, reasons because of scenes that would have been too, you know, Sons of Anarchy. Because I think the the lead guy was in San, uh, Sons of Anarchy too, right? Uh, you think? Yes. I mean, he's the main character. Yeah, Ron right? <laughs> is the main character of Sons of Anarchy, and obviously Ron Perlman is the the tertiary protagonist. Right. So they're like, like oh, that's not going to work. So they bumped Perlman to this other character. And in Perlman's on the record saying, I think they went, we're going to go with like an Asian character for this role or somebody of another ethnicity. ethnicity they or probably whatever. should have instead of the silly joke they made. Yeah, so, and, and so they said, oh, no, we'll just we'll just shoehorn you into it. So that's how we got Ron Perlman in that weird uh, black market guy role. Yeah, so there you go. he, he so explicitly says, you like my name, Hannibal Chow. I took it from my favorite 
world leader and a yeah. Szechuan historical place in character. And my yeah. second place, I'm sorry, my my favorite historical character and my second favorite uh, Chinese restaurant in, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we got that because yeah. weird stuff. All right. Moving on. Sorry. The point is, after having drifted with this piece of kaiju, they realized this is how we're going to end the war. So they're going to get the the danger and strike Eureka are going to take a bomb to the rift. They're going to ride a piece of kaiju through and that's going to be that. Unfortunately, Herc Hansen's arm got injured, so that leaves Stacker Pentecost and Chuck Hansen to pilot the Eureka. Are they drift compatible? Uh, shut up. We're we're most of the way done with this movie. It doesn't matter. And again, they they were they they don't have a process to test the drift compatibility, so they're just gonna like whatever. We'll just whoever we can drift together, we'll just try it. Just slap them in there. It's gonna be fine. Again, so, that's a huge gap in this universe. Like. Uh, couldn't you guys find a non-lethal test for compatibility? But apparently not. So moving no, on. Doesn't work like nope, that. Doesn't not work that like that. No, not that kind of movie. So we then get another kaiju fight, but instead of three Jaeger versus two kaiju, now it's three kaiju versus two Jaeger. Uh, basically, the Jaegers get their asses kicked almost the entire time. Three kaiju event. Three kaiju event. First time it's ever happened. Uh, As predicted by Gottlieb, but the uh, the Eureka decides that the only way they're going to get through this is to detonate the nuke, which they use to take out two of the kaiju and mostly eradicate the third. So then the danger then rides this kaiju through the portal into wherever the alien invasion is coming from. And because it is a nuclear reactor overloads its nuclear nuclear reactor explodes, but not before both Makamori and Raleigh are able to eject out of the danger, go back up through the portal. Can they make it back through the portal without a kaiju? Don't worry about it. It's not that kind of movie. That's just what's going to happen. It, it, it's a one-way door thing. You're, you're free it to go It only scans back. one way. Out the other yeah. way, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. They make it out. Their escape pods show up at the top of the ocean. They hug together. That's the end of the movie. Helicopters fly overhead. Yeah, we we didn't mention, but the theme of Pacific Rim is just it's a banger and a half. That's the movie, everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how many beers you need to enjoy this movie? Let's start with Mayor McCheese. Um I'm gonna give it four. I'm bordering on five in there. That's aggressive. All right. Well, well it's I mean, it, it's a four and a half and a half. Uh, half pain, half enjoyment. There's parts of this movie I really enjoy. I really wanted to enjoy it even more if it didn't have an hour plus of nonsense human bullshit. I I want to see giant aliens fighting giant robots. I don't want to see an hour of explanation of why they're fighting. Just have them fight, and I'll have a much better time. So that's where my split comes. I the two the two quote unquote pleasure beers are during all the fighting. The quote unquote pain beers are during dealing with the nonsense that I have to get through to get to the fighting. All right, fair enough. Thunder's Wizard. Uh, you know, I enjoy this movie. I think it's fun, uh, but it's certainly. Two and two. Two enjoyment beers, two pain beers, 
the middle section is rough. The script, yeah. the script is bad. It's corny. Oh, yeah. No, no one talks like a human. No, That's fine. Nobody is an actual human. Everybody is an approximation of a human, or a, you know, uh, a caricature of another character created for film. I so, don't mean to cut you off, but I would take a beer off if Idris Elba was French again. Oh, if he was French again, it's one beer. <laughs> We are canceling the apocalypse. One beer. If he's French. Otherwise, if, four. four. If he's beers. French. No, yeah, yeah four. Yeah. For sure. No, we're, on the, we're on the same page yeah. here. I like how we're, we're, we're... Hey, we're drifting. We're, we're drifting together right we're, now. We are drifting right now. <laughs> it's right almost now. like we stick-fought. <laughs> so... I guess that, that's Number probably one. some sort of kung fu that we don't know the name of, but yeah. Don't you ever touch me again. Number two, <laughs> don't you ever touch me again. That make right. a great. That make a great salad dressing. <laughs> Thunderous wizard, thank you, Chumzilla. How many beers? Hey, you know what, uh, Captain Cash? I'll give this two beers. It is dumb, but it is so enjoyable. I'll give it just a two beer rating. It's fun. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm there with it's, you. So my only caveat. Can you turn off your brain and just enjoy this like a dumb cartoon? If you can, this requires zero beers. If you're an adult, probably two beers to dumb yourself down enough to appreciate how dumb this is. Well, I mean, the big problem is that between the the first introduction kaiju fight and the actual action of the movie, it is literally more than an hour. Yeah, you know, here's my thing. Is this movie dumb? Yes. Is it a, is it like offensively dumb? No. No. I mean, it's a good so, movie. They just two, they two waste beers. they waste so much time there in the center. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, it sounds like we're between two and four beers, average of three. Not that bad. Probably worth your time. At this stage, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to hear from our buddies in beer over at the Hop Nation. Go give them a listen. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We are talking Pacific Rim. And the big question of the evening, do you think it deserved to flop? I'm going to give it to the Thunderous Wizard. What's your word? No, this shouldn't have flopped. Great director. Right. Uh, yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, I mean, I'm going to piggyback on that to keep the timeline down. No, I mean, again, they would have thinned this thing up or at least streamlined the story. It would have been a hit, but... I, I didn't hate it. I don't see a reason why it would have flopped. All right. Chimzilla? Yep, I agree. This is a decent movie. It just needed a little more pop to it to make it uh, hit, I think, above what it did. But, yeah, I mean, this movie made a ton of money as is. I think it could have done better had it been punched up. A little polish, a little pizzazz. Send it I out. stand by 
this movie is the trash can nachos made with Wagyu beef and the finest artisanal cheeses. It's big, it's dumb, it's loud, but it is so lovingly crafted. It's style over substance for sure, but man, this thing has style to spare. I have got a three-point plan how to fix this movie. Point one. Point one, you have to give all the main pilots the same level of backstory as they give uh, the child. Uh, as they give Mako. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mako. Mako, exactly. Point two. And point two, you have to make the kaiju more visually distinct. I agree with that. They all look like hammerhead sharks. They just just have to stand out. And three, you have to make sure that much like the distinct style of the kaiju, that the threat level is like very clearly escalating. If you capture those three concepts, this movie makes a billion dollars. I'm just going to say you're 100% right. Because we're like, oh, it's a it's a stage five. There's no actual difference between a stage four and a stage five. It's got a tail, I guess. It's it's slightly larger, is what I can tell. Slightly but, larger, yeah. Fuck that. That's too subtle. But this is the Hulk argument. Like, why are there three different size Hulks when you can't tell the difference? And I mean, the tough the tough question I have in my mind is, can you make? a kaiju movie that's going to be a billion dollar film yes i don't know i don't think you're going to draw that big of an audience like you're going to you're going to get people like us but it's not like Endgame. like you're not going to get a billion dollars worth of viewers it's called 1933's king kong mermaid cheese listen to what i just said give each character no, no, I agree. A tie-in to the kaiju. I agree with your edits, but do you think with your edits, let's say you make the perfect yes. kaiju movie, will it bring in a billion dollars? That that is that is my working theory. Correct. Yes. Well, we're we're witnessing it right now. Like uh, Godzilla vs Kong would have been probably a billion-dollar movie had it not premiered amidst the global pandemic. Like, I mean, it, it's crushing it. And that movie so, kind of sucks. So, I mean, here's, here's we, my thing. We reviewed it, and it's it, fine. It's, but... it's on the cusp. Yeah. You know, to your point, is it's on the edge. It, it's very easily there. It's hard to say what would have happened, you know, sans pandemic. But yeah, it's it's there. It's right exactly. there. Exactly. My, my thought on Kong versus Godzilla is simply that it's super successful because everybody wants to go back to the theater because we're all tired of being in our homes. And this is one of the first films that comes out where you're like, you gotta go see this in a theater. I think that that probably closes us out for Pacific Rim. Let's make the transition into trivia. Trivia today is gonna be the "Are you funning me, son?" trivia challenge. I got six questions for you, multiple choice. The winner of tonight's trivia challenge will take home as much kaiju poop as I can jam into an old Amazon box I got lying around my house. And let me assure you, that's a lot of poop. Do you know how much phosphorus is in that poop? It could fertilize Ton- like ten square acres. Yeah, Ton- tons of phosphorus. Tons of phosphorus. All right, tons, tons. chime in. Give me either. Are you funning me, or our traditional? I'm gonna shoot my plasma cannon. However you want to handle it. 
Are you ready? I'm going to yes. shoot oh, yeah. my plasma. Kaiju Megadome. That'll work. Number one, Makomori in this film lends her name to the Makomori film test. What criteria does a film have to meet to pass the Makomori test? Is it A, have two women talk to each other about something that is not a man? Is it B, have a female character that is in that has an independent plot arc that does not exist simply to support a male character's plot arc? Is it C, you cannot remove this female character and replace them with a sexy lamp without altering the plot? Or is it D, have two ethnic minorities talk to each other for more than five minutes about something other than race? I'm going to shoot. shoot. Ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to Chumzilla. B. It is indeed B. Damn. Have a female character that has an independent plot arc that does not simply exist to support a male character's plot arc. Uh, the other ones, A was the Bechdel test, C was the sexy lamp test, and D was the Bechdel test for race, which technically this movie passes. And that sexy lamp test is terrifying. It is terrifying. Look it up, everybody. So that is one for Chumzilla. Number two, the little girl that plays Mako had a nickname for the director. What Studio Ghibli film was that name derived from? Is it A, Majo no Takibin? Is it B, Kake no Ue no Panyo? Is it C, Tonari no Totoro? Or is it D, Sento Chihiro Kami no Kakushi? Jesus Christ. Giant monster fight shit stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to the thunderous wizard. It's my neighbor Totoro. See, it is absolutely Tonari ni Totoro, or the English translation, my neighbor Totoro, because he is Guillermo del Toro, and the little girl uh, who is a is, speaks Japanese uh, called him Totoro-san, or the the name of the big fuzzy. <laughs> he looks monster. like a big fuzzy friendly guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that checks out. That checks out. Totoro-san. He, he is, is large amazing. and fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. Just just real good. Uh, not, not not necessarily my recommendation for this week, but check out the Studio Ghibli films in general. They're all pretty great, and they're on HBO Max. Yes, they're all Except awesome. for that really sad yeah. one. That's a really sad one. Oh. Spirit of the Way. Hot, no, no, no. You're, you're thinking of Hotaru no Haka, Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, don't, don't, don't watch that one. I mean, yeah. they all yeah, have but, an emotional power to them. Yeah, yeah it's, but, it's, a Pix, it's a Japanese Pixar. Yeah, stay yeah, away. Yeah. All right, number three. That is one to the Thunderous Wizard, one to Chumzilla. Number three, what is the name of the Jaeger that Stacker Pentecost solo pilots to save Mako Mori? Is it mm-hmm. A, the Coyote Tango? Is it B, the Horizon Brave? Is it C, the Diablo Intercept, or is it D, the Obsidian Fury? Uh, farts and Tarts. I'm going to give that to Thunderous Wizard just because it's it's fun. Uh, a. It is A. It is the Coyote Tango. <laughs> Though, to be completely fair, all of the other names are, are names for the Jaegers within the universe. Yeah, I was confused. I, I I love the way they name the Jaegers. They're just so much fun. I thought that was a Coyote Ugly joke. 
No. I mean, it was close, right? But it's right. Not. Yeah, but, yeah, you fooled me. All right, so that's two for the Thunder's Wizard. One for Chumpzilla. Number four, Striker Eureka was originally meant to be the hero Jaeger, but Del Toro felt that the Jaeger looked too what? Is it A, arrogant? Is it B, sleek? Is it C, high class? Or is it D, mysterious? I'm going to shoot. Oh, over <laughs> Chumpzilla. Hey. It is A, arrogant. The thought was that that, that model of Jaeger felt too arrogant to be yeah. the hero. That was going to be the Lady Danger, but they're like, no, let's use another design. Too much of a dick robot. Can't do that yep. one. Nope, nope. Nobody will like that one. Not a bit. All right. We're tied up two and two. I guess, uh, you know what? There's a distinct possibility here. Mary McCheese, you can come back and get both of these next two. We can have a three-way tie. McCheese, tied up, tied up. Pull a Mitch McConnell. Make this gridlock. Do it. I'm not a do big uh, I'm not a big kaiju fan, so I'm, I'm gonna try. I'll do my, I'll try my All right. Here we go. Number five. What other actor was considered for Elba's part of Stacker Pentecost? Was French it... Elba. Sorry. <laughs> that's chocolate. I mean, mousse. that's still technically chocolate mousse. Elba. <laughs> <laughs> was it A, Terry Cruz? Was it B, Tom Cruise? Was it C, Val Kilmer, or D, Dolph Lundgren? You're fucking with me. These are seriously uh, farts and tarts. <laughs> the poor uh, Thunder's uh, Wizard can't get it together, but go ahead. It's such a self-serious role. I'm gonna say Tom Cruise. It was Tom Cruise. Fuck no. That's a, I was my guest. All right, so uh, Mayor McCheese, you are eliminated from any usefulness other than your own, you know, personal pride. And beauty. And I'm, beauty. Here, hey, I'm, I'm here to hang out. I don't Just care. hanging out, doing the Jaeger bombs. Uh, Chumpzilla, you could tie this up. I'll try. There's or, no way. Or, or, Thunderous Wizard closed this out with a two-point lead. Number six. The first kaiju attack happens the same year the film debuts, in 2013. What year is it in the finale? Is it 2020? Is it 2021? Is it 2025? Or is it 2026? Uh, farts and tarts. <laughs> yes, Chumzilla. No, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, Thunder Wizard. It's 2020. That is not correct. Oh, that's shocking. I know. You uh, really you really would have felt it should have been, but it's not. Yeah, give, give him the options one more time. Your remaining choices are 2021. Huh? Mm. 2025 or 2026? Eh, 2021. 2021 is incorrect. Mary McCheese, <clears throat> for your own personal vendetta, uh, 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 coin uh, toss. It's 2025. Do it. Yeah, I'm going to go with 2025. 2025. It is 2025. Wait, that is yeah, I, knew that. I knew it. Why did they get that wrong? He retires for five years. So. So we experienced five friggin' years? <laughs> I mean, technically. Somehow I knew that, but I, I, I just, because, you know what? Uh, Holy Cash, shit. He baited me. He's like, he, he's like, 
2021. Me? I'm like, oh, okay. I thought I was trying to hint there. Because we're currently oh. in 2021. I'm sorry that you're that gullible. I'm sorry that you're You signaled that to me. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I am gullible. I thought you were trying to help me out here. This is radio. I was trying to make things more interesting. Uh, Thanks for leading me the wrong way, dick. You're, you're Mayor McCheese getting one question. Yes, son. Let's wrap this up. Let's go around the horn with our recommendations for this for this week. Mayor McCheese. Uh, so this is going to go a little heavy. We have been talking a lot about monsters for the last two weeks. I wasn't here for the Kong one, but I just watched Athlete 8, um, and that is a terrible documentary. Uh, I would recommend it just to see kind of how that whole system played out. And if you have kids, how to at least somewhat protect them or at least tell them what to look for, because after watching that, it's brutal. I mean, it's brutal across the board. It's not, it's not a happy recommendation, but it's definitely a worthwhile watch. Um, it's on Netflix. Go watch Athlete A. It sucks, but it's worth it. All right. Uh, over to Thunderous Wizard. Ha- hopefully something cheerier. Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, it's, it's the only thing I've watched recently, but uh, I mean, as a dad with daughters, I feel like it's something that needs to be portrayed out to the general public because I don't know how that sort of horrible shit went on for so long without someone saying something. And if you're at least in the position to talk to your kids or keep an eye on them, like just do it. Christ. It's so messed up, but yeah, someone make it happier, please. Yes. I will lighten it up. Uh, I'm continuing my Oscar watch and I guess it's not that much lighter, but trial of Chicago seven, about the demonstrators in Chicago for the 1968 Democratic Convention. It's a it's a great movie. It's exceptionally well written. I really liked it. It's one of my at this point. I think it's my second favorite. It's 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 amazing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote and directed it. You'll like it. It's free on Netflix. Watch Trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah. All right. Good. Over to Chumzilla. All right, folks, I've got a weird one. <clears throat> Fun fact, there is a lost film that has been found again on YouTube, and uh, it is awful. And because we are a podcast that talks about bad movies, I feel like this is quite appropriate. It is called The Astrologer. It was released in 1976, and <clears throat> you can find it on YouTube under The Astrologer uh, parentheses 1976 and parentheses previously lost film it is super weird it's basically like the room but like the 70s version of the room and uh, if you've got an hour and a half to kill I would check it out it is absolutely bonkers it's weird it's fun and if you like strange cinema, this is your thing. And it is definitely an, uh, an oddity of late 70s, early aughts filmmaking. Uh, check it out for as long as it's still on YouTube. Again, it's called The Astrologer. 
don't get confused. There's another version. This is the version you want. It's the 1976 version. And it 76. is 76. 76. Bizarre. Check it out. Excellent. That's my recommendation. All right. My recommendation this week is going to be that you check out the Netflix anime series, Pacific Rim The Black. It Ooh, expands gross. on the Pacific Rim lore. Uh, it And it's got some good, fun kaiju punching, but... Uh, you know, I'll be very honest with you. It doesn't have the same kind of campy fun atmosphere that Pacific Rim did. But, I mean, still, it's kind of a worthy successor. So, you know, if you enjoyed Pacific Rim, you might enjoy that. Check it out. That's going to do it for this edition of Hops and Box Office Flops. Thank you very, very much to Unibrow for your lovely La Fin du Monde. Uh, thank you for listening. And next up, we have Fight Club. Yeah, the first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. We're going to fuck up that first rule for sure. What's the second? La, 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 la. You do not talk about Fight Club. All right, what's Fight Club? Thank you. All right. Uh, well, what did you think of the pod? Do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thunderous Wizard, where again can you be found? You know, when I'm not uh, rocket elbowing again... Uh... Rocket Macho Man elbow dropping people. I can be found at Writer TLK. I guess you're better Twitter. at Rocket Elbow than Rocket Fist. Probably. And, yeah. and, and, with, and with that, Chumzilla really perked up for a second there. Chumzilla, where can you be found? You can find me chugging kaiju like acid vomit at Chumpzilla8 on Twitter. I really figured you'd be more the type who would snort kaiju bone powder, but anyway. That's expensive. It's $500 a pound. That's a good point, but it'd make you potent. <laughs> it, that's another one of just the weird random side characters. It's just so funky. Mayor McCheese? I got my new website at <clears throat> www.rocketfist.net. <laughs> uh, no, wait, uh, I am on Twitter at HBOF McCheese. You can find me there. And I can be found at C-A-P-T, C-A-S-H, on most of your social media. Kaiju, Megadome. Welcome to the Shadow Dome. <laughs> Welcome to the Shitter Dome. <laughs>